0: Hello, hello, hello. Happy Saturday. Yes, we made it to another weekend. Oh, so exciting. We just uh, we keep rolling along here. Welcome into another edition of the Sports Kiki Podcast. It is episode number 28. My name, as always, is Alex Reamer, and you can, of course, find the Sports Kiki Podcast wherever you can find your favorite out sports podcasts. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. All there for your listening and downloading pleasure. And also, if you have a spare moment, please feel free to leave a review. Because that is always appreciated as well. Uh, we have another mailbag show for you all today. That means that your beloved host has decided to mail it in <laughs> once again. No, I kid, I kid, of course. Uh, there's a bit of a tradition happening. The last time we did a mailbag was about two months ago. It was after I got off a spell of five overnight shows in a row from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. here on the East Coast CBS Sports Radio. I did another spell of overnight shows this past week, and just like last time we did the mailbag episode, I'm off to a long weekend in Provincetown. So, no guest. Instead, we are sending ourselves off uh, with the love of you folks, the listeners. And yes, I just referred to myself in the royal we. That means I'm overtired. Uh, but some good questions on the mailbag this week. Always like connecting with all of you. And, you know, it's episode number 28 of this podcast. And it's that's a long time, I think, to do a podcast, especially when uh, you're a one-man band. So all the shows are here at Outsports. And, you know, we promote these ourselves. We produce these ourselves. So I know it seems like a corny cliché, but I really do take a lot of pride in this show and I take a lot of pride into how people seek it out and find it uh, on themselves, and uh, really uh, involve themselves in the show, and seem to really like it. Uh, it's humbling, it is. So that's cool, and that's why I like doing these mailbag episodes every once in a while. Just we're we're kind of just shooting the shit, if you will, and talking as friends would talk. Although it's just a one-way conversation right now, which is actually the best because you know we all like talking about ourselves. So. Here we go. Uh, on last week's show, I do want to have a quick note about last week's show before we move on. Uh, spoke about the situation happening in Massachusetts with openly gay congressional candidate Alex Morse. Of course, the purpose of the show was not to examine that congressional race. Alex Morse is taking on the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee, Richie Neal, who uh, represents western Massachusetts, a much more rural part of the state than Boston. Um, So anyway, the podcast was not necessarily about that race. It was about a lot of the controversy surrounding that race with Morse's sexuality. A couple weeks ago, the Massachusetts College Democrats released a a letter not only disavowing Morse, but also disinviting him. To their future events accusing him of acting inappropriately with college students in addition to being the openly gay mayor of a small city in western mass holyoke morris has been an adjunct professor at umass amherst from 2014 through fall of 2019 so within that letter the massachusetts college democrats accused morris of going to their events then hitting up students on social media, matching with them on dating apps, making them feel uncomfortable, having sexual relations with some students as well. Uh, So that came out a couple weeks ago, and as expected, all hell broke loose. But as people did more digging on it, including Ryan Grimm of The Intercept, who we had on the show last week, uh, they found out this story has a lot of holes. Uh, For starters, the accusations were all very vague. No specific person has come forward. And all of the allegations are about consensual relationships. So Alex Morris vehemently defended himself, and we find out that the leadership of this group, the Massachusetts College Democrats, were uh, behind Richard Neal, the incumbent, and one of the officers of the Massachusetts College Democrats was even one of Neal's students at UMass Amherst. Neal was also a professor there, and talked about his desire to break through in politics Through Richard Neal, so you have obvious conflict of interests there. We found out Morris hasn't even attended a College Democrats event since October of 2019, which afterwards he messaged somebody on Instagram and said it was nice to meet them. The Intercept was able to obtain those screenshots. Uh, The Massachusetts Democratic Party got the College Democrats in touch with counsel to discuss the best ways to release this public letter. So the more we found out about it, it really seemed like kind of an inside job. And the question is, and it's something we talked about a lot on last week's show, is if Alex Morse were straight, would these allegations have been made? Would these allegations have held weight? And my conclusion is no, they would not have. I think these allegations play into anti-gay tropes Um, I think Alex Morris is put in the position of apologizing for his consensual sex life, or at least explaining his consensual sex life, which a straight person would not have to do. Uh, If these allegations were made and Alex Morris was straight, I don't think much attention would have been paid to them at all. I really don't. And there is the question of, you are an elected official. You know, you are the mayor of a city, You are running for an open congressional, or not an open congressional seat, but you are running for a congressional seat. Uh, You're a person of power if you're into progressive politics here in Massachusetts. Alex Morse is a pretty big name. So what are you doing if you're Alex Morse, 31 years old, matching with college students on Tinder and other dating apps? What, What are you doing seeking them out on social media? And I totally understand that. You know, me personally at 27, I'm not going after many college students these days. Largely because I have nothing to teach them. <laughs> but that's besides the point. Uh, I, not not for me. Not my speed. And I think an argument can be made that Alex Morse, in his position, should be more careful about being around college students. Uh, I get that. But the fact is that... All of these relationships, all these relations have been consensual. Nobody has come forward to the state and said otherwise. And Morse was never a professor of any of these students that we know of. So it's a lot blurrier. and also we talk about this a lot in the show too. Gay dating apps, gay hookup apps, these are meeting places for people in our communities. You know, if you live in Boston like I do, back when things used to be open, If you wanted to go out on a Friday night or Saturday and be amongst your people, you could go to several places. You could go to Club Cafe. You could go to D-Bar. You could go to Blend. You could go to a litany of places, play in one of the gay sports leagues, as I do. But if you live in a a more rural area, as Alex Morse does in the western part of the state, uh, those options aren't really there for you. So how do you meet men? How do you meet men around your—you go on dating apps. You go on hookup apps. That's part of the meeting place. That's where a lot of our behavior and interaction has been driven through decades and decades of social ostracization. So that's why. I mean, it's easy to look at it on the surface and say, I don't care if it was consensual, still dumb for someone of Alex Morse's position to be on gay dating apps, gay hookup apps, talking with college kids— and I get that on the surface, but you have to delve deeper and look into the overall culture, how gay people meet other gay people. And again, if Alex Morris straight, would he be in the position of having to explain his consensual sex life with adults? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. So an interesting conversation. That primary is September 1st. So in just a couple weeks, we'll continue to follow that here on the show. Uh also wrote a great story this week on OutSports, and yes, I'm calling a story that I authored great. <laughs> Get over it. Uh, Esra Tuolo is a former NFL defensive lineman. He played for the Green Bay Packers and most notably the Minnesota Vikings in the 1990s. Uh, he's a big friend He's a big friend about sports. We've written about him numerous times over the last several years. He's a, an LGBTQ sports advocate. He is uh, involved in the nonprofit Hate is Wrong. Uh, an anti-bullying nonprofit. Uh So he does great work, Esra does. Um, and he has a new podcast out, titled Mr. Aloha. He's from Hawaii. And his guest this past week was Brett Favre. And I spoke with Esra about the podcast, about interviewing Brett Favre, and about the topics they, they talked about, including the issue of head trauma. Uh, Brett Favre, of course, throughout his post- playing years, has been pretty vocal about the concussions he suffered as an NFL player. He's on the record a couple years ago saying he thinks he's suffered thousands of concussions. So he's been very candid about that. And Ezra, and this is what we talked about for the piece, uh, which came out Tuesday, uh, he be- deals with some head trauma issues as well. Uh, it's not crazy. It doesn't inhibit him from living his life, but he'll be writing an important email for his Hate Is Wrong nonprofit, trying to secure funding, and realize that the email that is on his screen reads nothing like the email that he comprises in his head. He forgets words, the grammar is poor, etc. He'll be singing on stage. He was a contestant in The Voice, a singer, performer, and he'll forget the words. He'll forget the lyrics to a song, and he has to hope that people in the audience don't notice. And for the first time on his podcast with Brett Favre, uh, Esra... Tualo talks about this and it's very brave and it's very humanizing and it's 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 something to commend I mean in in today's world Rightfully, the stigma around mental health is dissipating, and that's a great thing. But I still think there is some stigma there, especially when you're talking about head trauma and concussions and trying to continue to make your way in the professional world. So it's very brave whenever somebody speaks out about something like this. So I was glad to connect with Esra and do the story with him. And also interested to get his thoughts on Brett Favre, who uh, he had on his podcast and received some criticism for it because Brett Favre – a couple weeks ago, golfed with Donald Trump. And of course, anybody who golfs with Donald Trump and then poses for a picture with Donald Trump is lambasted in certain circles. And, you know, look, I've always said that nobody should be in the business of normalizing this president and even doing something as simple as playing golf and then posing for a photograph does exactly that, normalize this president. But, I also understand that he is the president of the United States, and for some people, uh, that is a huge honor to be invited to play golf, to be invited to spend time with him. Not something you want to turn down. On the podcast, Brett says he wanted to use this opportunity with Trump to talk about this concussion uh, drug that he's involved in. He's an investor in a pharmaceutical company that is uh, developing this drug that can stop brain swelling shortly after impact, so... Brett's very passionate about that cause and says that was the purpose of the meeting on his end. Um, but I, I like that Ezra had him on. And, you know, one thing he told, told me was, Brett's my good friend. And I don't care what people say about him. I don't care who he plays golf with one day. I know it's in his heart. I know uh, that he is a friend of the LGBTQ community, and they talked about that. So uh, it's good. You know, I think on the surface, and I'll include myself in this, it's very easy to just say, oh, psh. This guy played golf with Trump. I mean, what a monster. But it it goes deeper than that, especially if you know a person on a personal level. Okay, enough pontificating. Time for more pontificating. <laughs> let's get into some of the uh, mailbag questions. Just a few here as we close things out. Uh, why don't we start with... Here we go. I feel like I'm going back to my WEI days. Uh, let's go to Michael Bradley, who asked me a question about... Boston Bruins goalie, Tuka Rask. Now, for those who don't know, uh, Tuka Rask is a star goalie for the Boston Bruins. He opted out of the NHL bubble last weekend, uh, right before Game 3 of the Bruins playoff series against the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, Tuka Rask cited family issues. He has a newborn child, two young daughters, a young wife, and he opted out, released a short statement just hours before game time, saying family right now is more important to him. Than hockey. So Michael Bradley tweets in, "Can you speak to the Tuca issue? I get it with his family, family first, but the level of protection he has received from the local media is annoying. Everyday people have worked through COVID because they have no choice, no option to opt out." Well, thanks for the question, Michael. It's a good one, and I think it's I think the way the framing of that question really speaks to. What's wrong with America? You know, the attitude should not be, well, some people have to work through COVID or, you know, terrible life situations, so thus everybody should. No, how about we say, why doesn't every worker have the luxury of a Tuca Rask or a professional athlete where they can opt out and take time for themselves and their family if they want to and if that's necessary? So I would frame it that way. And I would also say that Any athlete who's playing in one of these bubbles and has to be isolated from their family, their friends, and the rest of society at large, that is a tough ask. I mean, that is a really hard ask. And I know that, relatively speaking, the NBA players and WNBA players, for example, who are in a bubble in Florida. You know, the NBA guys are at a five-star resort, Walt Disney Resort in Orlando, and I get it. They're getting their food catered to them even their laundry is being taken care of compared to the plight of most Americans, 30 plus million unemployed, for example, uh, I understand it. It's nothing to shed tears over, but it still is a big ask. And it is certainly an unprecedented ask to ask athletes to basically go off and isolate themselves for months on end to play these games. Yes. To win championships, but also to make the TV revenue for the owners. So it's, it's a tough situation for these players and I don't fault anybody for going in there and then backing out and saying, yeah, this isn't what I thought it would be. Uh, I think anybody in our situation of our family needed us would do what Tuka Rask did. I applaud him for being honest and I applaud him for saying before he left that, hey, you know, this doesn't really feel like the real playoffs. And LeBron has said this and Giannis has said this in the NBA. And I don't think it's necessarily excuse making. It's it's just telling it like it is. It's the truth. They're not playing in front of any fans. They're playing in front of a bubble. It's a weird situation, and, yeah, I, I just think that the framing of that question is wrong. I, I think we should instead be asking, instead of asking, why does Tuca get to do what others don't, uh, how about we say, how come others don't get to do what Tuca does? I got a couple questions uh, about, <laughs> about this. Uh, this one comes from Dean Goodman and a tweeter named JB. They both ask the same question. I'll read from Dean. Do you really believe there is no violence in Portland, Seattle, Chicago, etc.? Okay, what the hell are we talking about? So I also do a podcast once a week uh, with a guy named Jerry Callahan with whom I used to work at WEEI in Boston. Uh, He's a crazy right winger, but uh, I like him. He's always been good to me, Jerry. So that's, that's what I'll say about that. And I enjoy the fight. I enjoy sparring. And it's fun for me to do the show. And one of the things that we talk about is what's been happening in Portland, Oregon, with the protests outside of the federal courthouse. And of course, uh, Trump calling in these federal agents and these police officers. And my thing is that, like, we've been talking about the same thing for nine to ten weeks. And ultimately, what's the point of all the coverage that we see these protests receiving on, Portland, on Fox News and other conservative outlets, and they're drumming things up, and they're playing it up to be more violent than it is, and when there is violence, which is terrible, it leads the news, and it's the number one thing on the news all day long, and what's the point of it? The point of it is to demonize the Black Lives Matter movement and to demonize these protests for social justice and racial justice. That's what it's all about. I don't think anybody can condone violence. We all condemn violence. We condemn rioting. We want to put a stop to it. But by focusing on that and ignoring what has been largely and almost uniformly, a summer of peaceful protest, if you look across the nation, is just disingenuous. It's so disingenuous, and it's a distraction. It's it's not all that dissimilar from people who say, oh, yeah, well, okay, LeBron, you can say what you want about Brianna Taylor, but how about China, huh? It's like, okay, yeah, LeBron handled himself terribly uh, after the Daryl Morey tweet, and I think the NBA has a lot of answers to give. About its silence on China and human rights issues over there, and their business interests with China, but one thing doesn't have to do with the other. You know, you, you it does not nullify LeBron's voice or anybody's voice on racial justice issues. Uh, you know, China has nothing to do with that. So it's disingenuous. It's a way to just silence uh, outspoken people, outspoken Black people in this case, and I think that's the same thing of focusing on. What's happening in Portland and drawing up isolated incidents of violence. No, I do not think the violence is nearly as widespread as it's portrayed in the right-wing media ecosystem. I just don't. And I think that news stories like that in general are anomalies. It's not part of a big trend. No, I don't think... I live in a city. I don't think that cities are uniformly unsafe right now. Uh, Crime has spiked a bit this summer, but it's still way down from where it was decades ago. So I just... I just think it's, it's fear-mongering. It's fear-mongering. It's nothing more than that. It's fear-mongering. It's, uh-oh, don't go to the city. These people, they're 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 dangerous. We need law and order. It's just, it's fear-mongering, and it's dog-whistling, and I don't like it at all. So that's where I fall on that. Uh, <laughs> we have Mr. Joe Pirro, who asks me, asking again because it's constantly ignored, who is your best friend and why is it Joe Pirro? Uh, I don't have any friends, so that's why that's ignored. <laughs> and this uh we'll end here with Joan Virginia, who's a longtime fan of mine, um who sent me kind words about the overnight shows that I was doing, and I thank you for that. Um but uh okay, we'll 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 end on this question from uh Michael McNaught, who chimes in uh from time to time. He asks me, What lessons have I learned about myself? Over the last five months. And it's a good question. I'm glad this was asked. And this is actually something that I wrote about for Out Sports Way back in March. When this dystopia happened. And I wrote in the article. Kind of tongue in cheek. That I was going to become less vain. I was going to become less concerned with superficial things. Expensive haircuts. Etc. And well. I've gotten my hair cut. Even more regularly. <laughs> since since uh, barbershops and salons opened back up here than I was before. So maybe that is not the case. But I think I have learned a lot of lessons about myself over the last five, six months. We really had no choice but to be reflective because there hasn't been much to do. Uh, I've started doing a few things that I've always wanted to do, such as cook. Up to this point, I was an adult, a full-grown man who could barely even boil water. It was really pathetic, never mind really expensive. So... I'm very glad about that. I feel accomplished. I feel independent. And yoga is something that I'm very happy I've taken up too. I resisted doing it for years, and I don't know why. Not only is it just incredible for your body and your mind and your mindfulness, but it's it's a way to get kick-ass abs. So there you go. The vanity even applies there. But most of all, not to get too sappy, uh, I've learned about being content. And this week is a very strange week for me. Because last year at this time, last August, uh, I made a big career change. I left WEEI, the sports radio station I was working at in Boston, and I left for a job at the State House in Massachusetts to serve as a communications director for a state senator. And I made the career change, and frankly, it was an abrupt career change um, because I just. I was in a very bad mental place last year at this time, and uh, I loved my job at WEI, and it's always what I wanted to do, but there were changes at the station, and I had a tough run from the Brady incident to a few other things, and it was just really eating at me, and the environment was eating at me, and... You know, Every day, if I wasn't booked on the morning show, I would have a conniption. I always thought that my back was against the wall, the walls were closing in, and I was just tired of living that way. And the idea of switching out, I've become so interested in politics, starting something new, starting fresh, seemed attractive to me. Uh, Unfortunately, I didn't really think exactly about what the job is and how I would be expected to act and whether that is actually what I wanted to do, so... Didn't work out. A couple of months in, I'm back in media. I'm very thrilled to be here at Outsports and Forbes and the work I do for CBS Radio and Boston Magazine. And I'm very happy to be back here doing what I love. But you know, it's it's taught me to be content, and that contentment is really a man's greatest treasure. My whole life, I've just been so professionally obsessed and professionally ambitious. Uh, always wanting more, never being satisfied. Yes, I was on morning drive radio in a major city at 23 years old, 24 years old, but it wasn't good enough for me. I wanted to be on every day, and if I wasn't on every day, it was the end of the world, and I just, I, I, I just was so obsessed with my relevance, and I got so much affirmation from social media, and eventually I just crashed. And over these last five months, it's really forced me and so many others to stop, And take a step back and say, yeah, you know, the career, nothing really is going forward right now. (laughs) There's not a lot of new networking opportunities. The world has basically shut down and is still shut down for the foreseeable future in a lot of areas. Uh, And it's taken, it's forced us to just kind of live with ourselves and live with being alone and realize that it's okay if you write an article that doesn't explode, or it's okay. If you're not on morning drive radio today. And those may sound like obvious statements. But I got so much of my affirmation from those exterior forces. It was really hard for me to settle in and have perspective. And I think I've regained some of that here. The last five months. I don't know. So thank you for that question. And giving me a chance to spout off. And thank you for listening to another edition of the Sports Kiki Podcast. It's episode number twenty eight. As always, if you want to be involved in the show, very easy, you can find me on Twitter at AlexDreamer One is my Twitter name that again is at AlexDreamer One. So long everybody. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and we'll talk to you next on the Sports Kiki next Saturday.